and welcome to the 17th Womanthology podcast. My name is Fiona Tatton and I'll be your host. Womanthology is a digital magazine and professional community powered by female energy and ingenuity. We champion equal recognition and reward for everyone, sharing opportunities, ideas and a deep pool of collective wisdom, supporting each other to be unstoppable. The theme of the show today is the gender pay gap. I'm going to be chatting with Elizabeth Tacanio, Director of Strategy and Operations at Diversity Focus, who is going to be talking about her work with companies in Australia, the US and the UK who are looking to reduce their gender pay gaps. We will also be hearing from Inesh Santos, Womanthology's Associate Editor, who's going to be talking us through the written stories in the new issue. A quick reminder that you can sign up for the Womanthology newsletter by filling in your details on the front page of the website, that's womanthology.co.uk. You can also join our new LinkedIn community by visiting linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash womanthology and find us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Welcome to the Womanthology podcast, Elizabeth Tecamio from Diversity Focus. How are you doing, Elizabeth? Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. Really looking forward to this. Well, thank you for being with us. It's uh, it's lovely to be chatting with you across an international time divide as well. So tell me, whereabouts in Australia are you? Um, we are in the most isolated city in the Southern Hemisphere um, in Western Australia, Perth specifically. I've got friends in Perth. <laughs> so at some point I'll be coming over when I'm allowed, but not for the foreseeable future, obviously. <laughs> so Elizabeth, could we start by asking you to tell us a bit about your educational background and career to date? Yes, absolutely. Originally from the US, from the San Francisco Bay Area, did a degree in cultural anthropology, um, spent a number of years overseas um, in Southern Africa and Botswana, I'm really interested in the intersections between health, medicine, and culture. I worked for Johns Hopkins doing a bit of research, started a nonprofit addressing some of the cultural dynamics with couples in relation to um, HIV transmission, came back, decided I was very interested in getting deeper um, into two, two main streams is the interest in race and culture and then the female empowerment side of things um, as it relates to medicine. So came back interested in doing more work in medicine, knew I needed more of that cultural background. So flew over to Australia to do a master's in sexology, um, working with women who've undergone uh, female genital mutilation cutting, and then now work for Diversity Focus, a little bit of a shift, um, doing trainings on Di- uh, workplace diversity, in- equity, and inclusion, as well as domestic violence response um, in the workplace specifically. Thank you so much for sharing with us. I think we're going to have a fascinating conversation. So we're really grateful to be chatting with you today. And in terms of day to day, your role at Diversity Focus, what would that involve? If we were trying to imagine Elizabeth day to day, what would we be imagining? We've grown quite a bit over the last year. Um, um, we now have a team of 15 here. Um, And my role pretty much revolves around everything and anything as a a small business doing internal operations um, projects, as well as a strategic direction, um, always looking for more collaboration and growth. And then I also am a lead facilitator. So I'm out every week doing trainings on increasing diversity inclusion um, across 
Perth as well as in the UK. We've worked with some companies in the UK and in the US as well. Wow. And I bet you've got some stories to tell from that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> A lot, lot of different stages of where companies are at. <laughs> There's a continuum. Okay, I, I get that. Well, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we will delve into that during the course of the conversation. Could you help us out by briefly contextualizing the difference between the gender pay gap and equal pay? Because I think sometimes they have a tendency to get conflated. And I think we probably most people know, but just as a reminder for people, would that be all right? Yeah, um, I actually did some of my own research on specifically for the UK context, the US and Australia, um, just because I was also very interested um, in our work, we're dealing more with bias and uh, internal bias in culture. So actually getting the stats was really interesting. I looked at and saw, so 2017, a study showed that nearly 90% of British companies had a pay gap that favored men. 2017 was when those reporting guidelines um, began in order to report on the the gender pay gap requirements. Um, And yeah, I think looking at how um, originally Denmark and some of those um, Nordic countries had really shown that transparency of reporting helps narrow the pay gap, um, I think, up to 7%, which might seem, you know, not significant when... (laughs) um, you know, there can be quite a large widening gap, but that um, actually it's, it, it's in conjunction with an overall shift in culture as well. To get to your question, um, equal pay is comparing, for example, a man and a woman's pay rates in the same position, whereas the gender pay gap, it looks across the company, it's more holistic, um, and it's the distribution of salaries irrespective of position in company. So, for example, um, men are more likely to be in senior roles. The pay, the gender pay gap will take that into consideration. For example, looking at how 65% of the company's salary distribution goes to men versus maybe 35% going to women. And that might be, and e- even if there is a 50-50 distribution of gender in the workplace, that 35% might show that women are generally in lower positions and they're getting lower pay. So it's looking at positionality as well as pay distribution. Hopefully that makes some sense. <laughs> Absolutely. In terms of equal pay though, it's a, essentially it's illegal to pay people differently for the exact same work. You know, certainly in the UK, that's the case. Whereas gender pay gap wise, that that will be because people make different choices, for example. So say girls are less likely to go into the well-paid STEM type roles, for example, also, or women are more likely to step out of the workplace for childcare, for example. So this kind of, I suppose there's two different kind of strands to that. that. There's the kind of the legal side of things. And then there's the actual, the choice, the choices that people make that then leads to these differences that you're describing. Yeah, and it also highlights that dimensionality of how we look at um, gender equity in the workplace. Um, it's it's not just cut and dry, but we need to look at different dimensions. Um, and I'll talk more about that in the context of Australia because um, they've added a few more metrics, which are quite interesting as well. Yeah, so, so we'll do tell about Australia because you've got the Workforce Gender Equality Agency there who I followed for several years and they're doing some really good really good work there. So about the figures for the gender pay gap in Australia. So what do we know about that? 
So the Fair Work Act of 2019 um, is what protects people in Australia from being discriminated against on the basis of sex. I think it should be probably redefined to, to be gender, but um, that's a nuance. Organizations are required by law to report on equal pay. We've now shifted um, following a bit with UK, where in private companies with 100 plus employees um, must also report on different with a variety of additional metrics. So in the UK, I think it's 250 and it's for private and public organizations in Australia, uh, public entities, it's voluntary, but for private um, hundred plus employees, they must report. And I know that I know, so <laughs> there has been a bit of a delay this year. Um, there's been a two week delay. And that's like you mentioned be with a new portal that has just come out where now um, there are additional uh, metrics that companies are reporting on. So looking at age now, location, um, and which is really great is they're looking at uh, non-binary identities as well, um, which I don't think the UK has, uh, think there isn't a requirement in the UK to report on non-binary gender identity. Um, and it's important because up to 10% of the population identifies as non-binary. So you're actually missing that whole demographic. In Australia, there is a compliance reporting program. Um, there's a questionnaire that they that each company has to fill out that's looking at their specific policies, strategies, and actions, giving us more of a qualitative perspective in addition to the numbers. Um, and then looking, and they have their own tool, which is great, making it really easy for companies that also looks at employee movements, um, appointments, promotions, some of the things you were mentioning, resignations and parental leave, in addition to, yeah, the the numbers on salaries and remuneration. So really great that, you know, Europe and Australia is, is evolving um, and, and headed in the right direction. And, and funny enough, being in Western Australia where mining is quite a big industry here, what did I see? So it was mining, finance, insurance, and utilities are the most likely industries in Australia to adhere to best gender equity practices, which I found quite interesting, versus community work, technician and trades workers, um, and personal service workers. So community work was the most surprising to me. Um, that has some of the highest gender pay gaps, and that tends to be more female dominant um, in those, those industries. I'm um, not the trades, trade worker industries, but yeah, I just kind of found that very interesting. So um, men in, in Australia still out earn women on average by almost 21%. But I think this transparency of reporting is really shifting things and having uh, citations as well. And I think both the UK and Australia do that. So um, once they report, they actually get a badge that they can publicly list on their on their company that, that displays um, to their customers and stakeholders that they are um, compliant and that they are working towards more gender equity, which is great. We like that. But it was interesting that I was um, reading about Australia yesterday and there was, oh, there's been a delay. And I was like, oh, how long is it? And it's like, oh, two weeks. Um, but obviously our um, enforcement of our reporting in the UK, it got delayed last year because of the first lockdown. And it's just now that they've actually said that the enforcement is going to get going again, but that's not until the end of this year. So a bit of a difference there, but and I think you mentioned as well the fact that in Australia they start with the smaller numbers as well. So it's 100 plus employees, yeah. but it's voluntary for public sector. Is that right? That's interesting. 
It is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, slight differences between the two countries. It's interesting. Are you noticing in the workplaces that you visit that it's that it's making a difference? That kind of what gets measured gets done kind of mentality. Um. Well, the funny thing is, um, so our niche area at Diversity Focus is um, we look at gender and other dimensions of diversity, such as disability, um, sex and gender, um, and uh, et cetera. But our niche is actually race and ethnicity. So oftentimes when we, when we go around, um, companies are very much on the ball in terms of gender. When they think, when they think of diversity and inclusion, they think of gender. Um, but it still is a tick box exercise, I think, overall. I think companies haven't really embodied um, the fact that we do need metrics. That's We need to establish a baseline understanding of where we are um, and what we need to do to close those gaps. It's still very much this mentality, oh, you do a training and tell everyone, you know, build awareness and come back to it every, you know, two to five years. And that's that's enough. But it, it really isn't. We need to look at we need to look at these look at this from a different, um, more holistic approach, I think, um, looking at the structure through con- the structure, the systems, the policies, the, you know, the parental leave and that sort of thing. And then shifting kind of the company culture overall, and then shifting those internal biases as well. Um, but that starts really with reporting and those metrics. We're much, we're far ahead than from in the UK and Australia than the US still. So the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has been around for a while. Um, they do require, um, as of 2019, so even more recently, uh, they've required companies to submit detailed race and gender pay data for the first time. So that's interesting that they also require um, more data on race, which is good. However, the information that they collect is, is all private um, and there's no transparency. And that, I think, in itself poses a lot of barriers, given that, especially for these larger companies, and tech is one of the largest industries in the U.S., so sometimes a you know, financial citation or um, a discrimination case, for example, that's you know, settled out of court, these, these private, um, not having that transparency can, can really pose a barrier. And I, I know Intel recently uh, is trying to shift that. They're trying to push others in the industry to um, voluntarily report numbers as government is not necessarily pushing for this. And this was definitely during the Trump administration as well. So things might be shifting now as we head into a new era. So yeah. Let's hope so. Fingers crossed for that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in terms of when you're consulting so in Australia or whether it's in the states or you mentioned you work internationally or whether it's UK what sort of things what sort of programs might you be putting in place if we were imagining Elizabeth going in finding out what was going on and then putting programs in place what sort of things might you be doing we take a total company approach at diversity focus um, it's it's more of a relationship so in an ideal world, trying to shift company culture in terms of gender as well as race and ethnicity, e- equity and inclusion in a company takes about a year. It's it's not you know a three hour <laughs> training and all of a sudden you've you've solved your issues. We get both reactive clients as well as proactive clients, and and we really sit them down. We do with the leadership. We do a, a benchmark assessment again, looking at 
the overall company structure and whether that fosters inclusion through, you know, HR policies and practices, DEI statements, whether the company has employee resource groups, mentorship groups, that sort of thing. We do a total company survey. So looking at knowledge, attitudes, behaviors um, of everyone, every staff person in the company, um, as well as diversity numbers. It's shocking the the lack of data that we come across in companies. So it's it's great that they're now reporting on gender, but in terms of other dimensions of diversity, it's it's we have a long way to go, I think. Um, and then yeah, that that forms a baseline assessment to be able to really tailor uh, any sort of programs that could be done, um, trainings that could be done, and then you know continual audits and reassessments. So really looking at a company from all angles and shifting that mentality and that narrative um, that historically is, you know, tick a box to now really uh, shifting the company overall. It sounds like you've got things to keep you busy, lots of work still to be done there, but you're moving everything in the right direction from the sounds of it. Yeah, one one step at a time. Um, We have a ways to go, but you know, there's been a lot of shift in the in 2020 with COVID, with, you know, global movements happening. So things are going in the right direction. Well, that's good to hear. Elizabeth, what is coming up next for you at Diversity Focus? What are you looking forward to? What are you excited about? Ooh, um, we have a new website coming up. <laughs> I'm quite excited about that. And uh, we're hoping to work more internationally. Um, we've put out some to maybe do more gov- uh, international policy um, potentially with the UN and do do some you know wider scale projects which we're really excited about to shift things um, not only you know small to large enterprises but also um, looking at overall um, government structures laws and that sort of thing kind of what we're talking about today we we want to dive into that further and have more discussions would it be all right for us to keep in touch with you about the, all of those things absolutely would love to yeah <laughs> well that sounds absolutely fantastic so thank you so much elizabeth Sicanio. thank you so much for speaking with us today uh, it's been an absolute pleasure thank you so much you're wonderful to talk to as well i look forward to keeping in touch My name is Ines Santos, I am the Associate Editor of Womanphology and I am back to tell you all about our new issue, which looks at the gender pay gap. The stories include Jackie Stevenson, President of Women in Advertising and Communications Leadership, known as WACL, tells us about their recent campaigning to reinstate enforcement of gender pay gap reporting in the UK. Jackie also reminds us of the difference between the gender pay gap and equal pay and why it is important not to conflict the two. Anne Frank is the CEO of the Chartered Management Institute and she explains how it is essential to fight for extended gender pay gap reporting in order to address the massive fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic. Anne also shares how she joined forces with WACL, the Fawcett Society and others as part of their campaign to reinstate enforcement of gender pay gap reporting. 
Katie Holland, president of Women in Transport, tells us more about the recent research into the barriers faced by women in transport and what needs to be done to address its findings. Katie also gives advice on how employers can reduce their gender pay gap. Jennifer Listen-Smith, head of thought leadership at Bright Horizons, talks to us about how many businesses have taken more direct involvement in childcare provision during the pandemic in order to retain the talent. She also shares the importance of employers looking to the future in the way they support hybrid working models. Romina Savova, founder and CEO of Pensionbee, shares the company's latest gender pay gap figures and tells us why it is so important for companies to keep sharing their data, particularly in the context of the impact of the pandemic on the female workforce. Romina also explains the correlation between the gender pay gap and the gender pensions gap. Finally, Sheila Flavel is Chief Operating Officer at FDM Group and she shares the pioneering work they have been doing to make tech careers more accessible and attractive to women in order to minimize the gender pay gap. Do check out our website womanphology.co.uk to read the full stories. And that is all from me. Sadly, that's all we have time for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share the link for the show on social media and also subscribe. Your feedback is really important, so please do rate and review the show in your podcast app. That's all for now, but join us in the next episode, which is about women in tech. For now, take care and stay safe.